so excited to be with you this morning. Really quick, can we just give a big round of applause for our worship and our media teams? Oh my gosh, they do so good. That first song was amazing. I kind of just want them to do it again, over and over again, and never stop ever, because it was awesome. Hey, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. If I haven't met you already, my name is Brandon, and I get the joy of serving uh, as the worship pastor here at Living Church. And so you guys know that I'm excited to be continuing in our series, Worship Is, right? Everybody say, Worship Is. Right? I should be excited because worship pastor, it's like 50% of my job title. If I weren't excited, I'd have some serious life evaluating to do. So I'm very, very excited to be continuing this series this morning. Hey, I'm also really excited just to hit one quick announcement before we jump in today. I am so excited about an event that we have coming up on October 8th. Everybody say October 8th. We are going to be celebrating the, uh, almost said 10th, the 7th anniversary of Living Church, right? Isn't that amazing? seven years. I had this moment the other day when I was driving down Walnut Creek and I was like, I've lived in Mansfield for seven years. I think that's longer than I've lived anywhere. It's pretty incredible. So we're going to be at the lot downtown. Um, We're going to invite the entire city to come. We want as many people to come as they can. There's going to be games and food trucks and a time of worship. It's going to be incredible, uh, an incredible time to not only celebrate what God has done in Living Church, but to also show the community, hey, this is who Living Church is, right? This is how we worship. This is what we believe. And this is the God that we worship. And so everybody say, I'm going to be there. All right, I'm glad. I'm going to be there too. So we're going to be glad uh, when that happens. It's going to be awesome. Um, and thank you always as Pastor, uh, to Pastor Trustin just for giving me the opportunity to speak, for believing in the leaders around you. I say this a lot, um, but this is the sign of a healthy, mature leader that leads a healthy, mature church, right? It's all too easy to micromanage and to hold the reins really tight and to do everything himself, but that's not the man that Pastor Trustin is. He believes in the people around him, and not only does he believe in them, yeah, let's give him a hand. See, not only does he believe in them, but he empowers them to do the work of God. And so I'm so thankful for him uh, and how he believes in us. Um, Speaking of Pastor Trustin, last week he opened our series, Worship Is, by talking about how worship is his, right? And he explained to us from Psalm 100 how we're supposed to come into his courts with thanksgiving and his temples with praise. Amen. We're supposed to already have that on our lips and on our hearts, ready to worship God. Worship isn't a time where we come in and take, 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 right? But we're supposed to pour back out, right? I think you actually sang it better than I just did last week, so you win that one. Um, but it's, it's a time when we pour our worship back out to God and we pour our worship in how we serve the church, amen? So what we need to understand from that is that worship is something that takes us outside of ourselves, Right? So in true pastor trust and form, it was filled with truth and honesty and some rap music references. And so if you haven't watched it, make sure to go watch it and enjoy that online. Um, And so today I want to continue with that vein and talk about how worship is mine, right? You might say, well, wait a minute, Brandon. I thought you just said worship is his. It doesn't belong to me, but it belongs to him. To which I would say, you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for paying attention. You must have been taking notes. God bless you. It's awesome. Um, But worship goes a little bit deeper, right? Because worship absolutely belongs to God. We aren't the recipient of our worship. Worship isn't for us, but we are 
the active and maybe only participants in worship, right? The Bible tells us that if we don't praise God, the rocks will cry out. Like worship's going to happen somehow. We need to be the ones that actively participate in it. And so worship is mine in the respect that it's not a spectator sport, right? Worship is something that's meant to be actively participated in. See, our worship for us is a personal responsibility, and it's something that should permeate every area of our lives, And so this morning, I just want to share this. It's from Romans chapter 12. And it says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I love that it says there that it's our spiritual service of worship. Some translations even change that word to reasonable. They say it's our reasonable act of worship because when we're faced with the mercies of God, when we're faced with his goodness and with his kindness and with his joy and with his forgiveness, our only reasonable response is to offer devotion and adoration back to him, right? Our worship of God, the kind of worship that happens every day, the kind of worship that permeates every part of our lives, the kind of worship that happens even when we don't feel like it, is a service back to God, and it's the only natural response that we can have to the gospel of Christ. I really love to talk about um, this angle of worship in particular because, full disclosure, I super struggled with this in the early years of my faith. So I don't want you to think, like, you're a worship pastor, you probably came out of the womb singing a Chris Tomlin song. Like, that's not true. I really struggled to understand this um, when I was younger. I've shared this before, but I didn't grow up in the church Um, but God was good enough and kind enough to save me when I was about 16, and I started attending a small youth group in my hometown, and I loved it, right? I I made friends there. I got connected to God there, and um, that was the first place that I was introduced to this kind of worship, right, where we all gather around and we sing songs, right? I'd never seen that before, and this was the first time and my first experience in that, and so every Wednesday, right before we listened to the sermon and inevitably ate some, like, nasty $5 hot and ready's, like, we would all stand around, and there was a guy on an acoustic guitar and somebody back there running the transparencies. How many of y'all remember the transparencies where you had to slide the little thing on there? Felt like I was in math class because they were sliding transparencies on the thing, and we would sing songs to God, right? And this was really strange to me at first. There was kind of a disconnect there because up until that point in my life, the only other live music experience I'd really had was going to these little like weird hole-in-the-wall punk rock shows where like I would just jump around and the music was really loud and really fast and I'd get really sweaty and it was just super exciting and super fun, right? And not only did I go to these shows, but I just might have, I might have fronted my own little punk rock outfit of my own, don't know if you guys heard of us, uh, but we were pretty big in the Ellis County punk rock scene, so kind of a big deal. Uh, but I debated on whether or not I should show you guys a picture. I thought about showing you a picture today. Uh, no, 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 no. But I decided against it. I decided against it because I felt like you wouldn't really get the full experience unless you heard it. And so we're going to roll that clip just real quick. You guys can just travel back with me. It's so cold. I know All right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. Thank you. 
But like y'all remember back to like the early to mid 2000s when like Blink 182 was a thing and everybody they thought that was super fun. So uh, yeah, man, it just gets worse from there too. Like it just goes downhill from there. Thank you, God, for saving me. Um, man. So given my current understanding of live music, like, right, given my current understanding of what that was, worship was really hard for me. There, again, there was a disconnect. There was this, this void, this emptiness there, um, because rather than feeling like I was singing truth in the Spirit as an adopted son of God with the rest of the bride of Christ, I just kind of felt like I was taking part in a bad session of Christian karaoke, right? It was just empty. There was something missing. And it, it wasn't the youth pastor's fault. It wasn't the worship leader's fault. It wasn't anyone's fault. I just got caught up in the fact that I didn't really like the songs very much, right? Rather than my worship being an expression of all the things God has done for me, there, it felt like something that was outside of me. It existed in this time slot during a service at a church, but outside of that, it didn't really have any bearing on my day-to-day life. Like, I didn't go home and sing these songs in my bedroom, right, obviously. I didn't, I didn't go home and think about the truths of these songs and the truths that they were representing throughout my week. I just left it there, and I went home feeling like, what did I just do? I think part of the issue I was struggling with, and honestly part of the issue that some of us may be struggling with today, is, is I was confusing my part of speech. You guys remember parts of speech? Like, let's go back to elementary school English really quick. And we had these things called parts of speech. Yeah, Ephraim just gave me a thumbs up, my English teacher friend. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong on any of this later. Uh, But we had these things called nouns, right? You guys remember a noun? Okay, they describe a person, place, or thing. See, you're so smart. Thank you, Schoolhouse Rock. We all know that. Um, Nouns are good and important, right? We need nouns in our faith. In the Bible, God is a noun. Jesus is a noun. The Holy Spirit is a noun. We need nouns to identify things. But then... There's also this thing called a verb. Now, verbs are really special because they classify words that are actions, states, or occurrences. See, a verb implies movement or activity of some kind. A verb implies that someone made a decision to move or act in a way they previously had not. Right? And the Bible is full of verbs. Pray, teach, love, rebuke, give. All of these things are verbs. And the problem I had... And the problem that I see often in church today is that we're trying to make our worship a noun when it was always meant to be a verb. We're trying to make our worship a noun when it was always meant to be a verb. See, we've got our worship music on our phone. We've got our favorite worship band we can listen to on the radio. We have a time of praise and worship when we come to church. We can go to our worship concerts and buy our worship t-shirts, and all those things are good and fine, but when we start to explain our worship as a noun, we start to distance ourselves from it, and we start to think that it only exists in a little time frame outside of our day-to-day lives, right? Let me explain really quick. So this is a ball, right? A ball is a noun, okay? I can do all kinds of things with this ball. I can throw it up in the air, I can toss it to a friend, I can roll it on the ground, all sorts of fun things. Now let's assume that this ball is your worship. If you would say that your worship is a noun, right? Let's just pretend this ball is your worship if you would say that your worship is a noun. And so when we walk in on a Sunday, we can pick it up and maybe we can toss it around a little bit, we can throw it back and forth to our friends, and if the band really gets going, I might even lift it up a little bit. But do you know what I'm going to do with this ball, with my worship, When I leave service, I'm just going to sit it down and leave it right there so I can come back to it next week. 
right? That's what happens when we begin to identify our worship as a noun. See, my identity isn't found in this ball. I don't have any real connection to this ball. This ball isn't really meaningful to me. I can, I can use it when I want it, and I can leave it behind when I don't. I can do things at a certain time with this ball, but I will never be the ball or embody its actions. How many of us are doing the same thing with our worship? How many of us pick up our worship on a Sunday morning when everything's feeling just right and everything's going really well and we go through the motions and we do some worshipful things, but then we leave it right here so we can come back to it next week? See, we're doing something involving worship. We just aren't allowing ourselves to become worshipers because we're treating our worship like a noun instead of a verb. See, our worship can never be relegated to being and now, when we do that, our worship becomes just like this ball. It becomes something that exists outside of us. It becomes something that is relegated to a time and a place and a space. We have no skin in the game. It's something that stays at the church on Sunday mornings, and it's something that others can pick up and hand us if we feel like taking it. We can't ever make our worship a noun. It has to be a verb. See, there are a couple of really dangerous and harmful things that happen when we treat our worship like a noun instead of a verb. And the first is this, it, it leads us into a life of empty religious routine. It leads us into a life of empty religious routine. See, this is what makes worship boring. Like, I really struggled with that when I was a teenager. It was, it was boring, man. I didn't want to do it. It didn't really engage. It didn't really engage me. But that's what happens uh, when it leads us into a life of empty religious routine because we fail to see the fruit of our worship permeating our entire lives. This is what causes us to become a spectator in the midst of God's presence. This is what causes us to give up the commandments of God for empty, vain traditions. See, Jesus would deal with this issue um, in Matthew 15. He was addressing a question from a group of Pharisees. And if you didn't know, the Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders of the time. And long story short, they were just a bunch of big fat fakers, right? Um, and they, they had forgotten the true commandments of God. And instead, they were steeped in religious ritual and routine. See, they used their worship as a noun, often as a weapon, and usually to the injury of others. And so they come to Jesus, and they ask him this. It says in verse 1, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. They're basically asking Jesus, hey, why don't you and your disciples worship like we think you should? And so Jesus replies, and he says this, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Boom, roasted, right? Just got Jesus jacked, like it hurts. Okay, then he goes on, right? He's not done there. He goes on in verse six, and he says, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are merely human rules. Ouch. How many of us have maybe fallen into this? Maybe even accidentally. How many of us have allowed ourselves to become crusty, dusty versions of our former selves as we hold on to legalism and what we have determined to be right? See, I'd like to believe that maybe at one point in their lives, the Pharisees might have loved God. I don't know. But they allowed their, their wrong understanding of worship to warp their ability to worship. 
See, when we allow our worship to, to, to be defined as a noun, we start seeing it as a bunch of things to accomplish. We start seeing it as boxes that needed to be checked off. And, and when that happens, we easily disengage our hearts. And we worship God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. And God, God's heart breaks when we let that happen. He doesn't desire that for us. See, the other danger in, in defining our worship as a noun rather than a verb is that it causes us to place the focus of our worship on circumstance and environment rather than truth. We place the focus of our worship on circumstance and environment rather than truth. And see, this happens once again when we start viewing our worship as something outside of ourselves, right? Remember the ball? Maybe I come in one Sunday morning and based on how my week was going that week, I decide, you know what? I don't really like this red ball anymore. I don't like it. I think I want, I think I want a green ball instead. Right? My, my circumstances and my feelings have changed, and so my preferences have changed as well. And so now, I might not respond to the songs that I don't really like. Or I might not respond to the songs that I feel like we've sung too many times. Or you know what? Maybe I just don't feel like it today. I'm tired. I got in a fight with my wife on the way to church. I'm stressed out. I'm just not feeling it today. So surely God will understand if I just sit this one out. Maybe I'll worship if it's at the right volume level or the temperature of the room's just right or the sun passes over the moon again and the wind blows in from the east, right? Then, then I'll be ready to worship because it's all based on how I'm feeling. See, I, I have a really unique vantage point um, in my position uh, in ministry, but I get to see people respond in worship. And can I tell you, it's incredibly encouraging. I wish I could bring you all up here so you could watch yourselves respond in worship. It's amazing to see some of you whose stories I know and whose situations I know, and to see you process with God through worship, and to see you worship through difficulty. It's incredibly encouraging. And I've had the opportunity to do that in, in a, a number of different places, and everywhere I go, it's always a blessing. It's always an encouragement. But I've done it enough times now that I could almost put money down on when the congregation will respond the most. I could almost, I could almost put money down on when the congregation would respond the most. Because if we get to that one bridge, right? You know the one, like, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned, right? Or if we sing that one line enough times, or if Mason does that crazy drum fill and the band builds up just enough, or if we get to the second or maybe third song, then everybody will be with me. Like, I know if I played Oceans at a youth camp, they're going to lose their little pumpkin spice latte minds, right? <laughs> I love youth, and I love oceans. I don't love pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> but it's when we tie our worship with our feelings that we need a warm-up song. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? When we tie our worship with our feelings, we need a warm-up song. You guys know the warm-up song, right? It's tends to be the first song in service. It's when everybody's still wrapping up their conversation outside and we're shuffling in. We've got our coffee. We're trying not to spill it on anybody, right? And it's the song that when we're tying our worship with our feelings, it's the song that we need about five minutes to warm up to the realization that God is worthy of our praise. We need the time to warm up to the realization that, oh, right, God is worthy. God is good. I remember now. Why do we think that works? That doesn't work in any other area of our lives, does it? If I came into work on Monday and I looked at Pastor Tristan, I said, hey, man, you know, like, I think I want to get some stuff done today, um, but I, I'm just going to need a few minutes for you to just remind me why I work here. Like, I'm just, I'm not super feeling it today, so if you could, just, just let me know. Or even worse, 
how eroding would it be in my relationship with my wife if I got home from work every day and I stopped at the front door and I said, honey, I'm going to need about five minutes for you to remind me of all of the reasons why I married you. I'm going to need about five minutes. I'm just going to stand here with my arms crossed and just a blank stare on my face. And I need you to remind me why I should participate in our marriage. And depending on how good you do, depending on how convincing you are, then I'll see what I can do. How many of you know that I probably wouldn't have a job or a marriage for very long, right? No, we're called to live out lives of worship. Just like Pastor Trustin taught last week, we're called to come into his courts with thanksgiving, to enter his gates with praise already on our hearts and our lips. Our worship should be vibrant and passionate, right? And even more than that, uh, God is in the midst of our, pre- uh, of our worship. Associating our worship as a noun instead of a verb is what causes our worship to become Christian karaoke. It what, it's what causes it to be follow the bouncing ball until we're done, right? It's what causes it to feel weird. Like when I was in high school first learning about this, it felt weird to me. And honestly, if you think, if you just list out what we're doing, it's kind of strange, right? We all come in, we stand, we face one direction, and we sing songs to a wall. And that would be weird in any other context. But we sing because Jesus has risen. We sing because what he does in our lives day after day, we don't sing because we're obligated. We sing because God abides in the praises of his people. His presence is here with us, and we sing because we're free. We sing because he's with us. God is worthy of our worship. Okay, so that's all great, Brandon. I know now that I can't define my worship as a noun. It has to be a verb. So what do I do now? Well, I'm so glad that you asked questions that I've already answered in my notes. Um, The first and maybe only thing we need to do in order to course correct, in order to, to shift our worship from being a noun to being a verb, is we have to become a worshiper. Everybody say become. Right? We have to become a worshiper. See, verbs imply action. But action doesn't happen out of nowhere. Right? Like, this podium isn't going to do anything if nothing acts on it, right? It's going to sit here from now until the end of eternity unless there is something acting upon it, unless it is moved in some way, then it will take on action. See, in order for us to define our worship as a verb, we have to become a worshiper. But becoming a worshiper takes us moving into action. But there's some good news today. There's some good news in that you are already a worshiper. Did you know that? Good news, take a deep breath. You are already a worshiper. See, we all worship something. The question is, what are we choosing to worship? We all worship something, but what are you choosing to worship? C.S. Lewis would say this in his book, Mere Christianity. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Now don't freak out, right? He's not saying we're all space aliens and like one day there's going to be a spaceship that's going to pick us all up and take us home. Like that's not, we're not that kind of church. It's okay. Um, But what he is saying is that we weren't made for here. Have you ever longed for something that's just nothing in this world can satisfy? Longed for love and connection and hope and joy that nothing in this world can truly give you? It's because we were made for heaven. We were made to be in the presence of God. And what happens in heaven? Worship. We were made for worshiping God. St. Augustine would say this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, 
and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. He's made us for himself. Our soul longs and even faints for the courts of God. That's from the Psalms. See, we already long to worship something. So do you know why you binge watch that show on Netflix? It's because you worship. Do you know why you wouldn't miss a Cowboys game if your life depended on it? It's because you worship. Do you know why you've already checked your Instagram feed six times just while I've been speaking? It's because you worship. Do you know why I sat and wrote all these angsty, weird punk rock songs in my bedroom? It's because I wanted to worship, right? And none of those things are inherently bad, but what, is, what, what becomes bad is when we try to plug holes in ourselves with worthless things, when those holes were only ever meant to be filled with the presence of God, right? It's like some little kid's toy with the pegs and the holes, and we spend so much of our worship energy trying to cram a square peg into a round hole when the key was the presence of God all along. In Psalm 101, David says this, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. He's worshiping. I will ponder the way that is blameless. He's worshiping with his thoughts. Oh, when will you come to me? See, he's longing. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. He's worshiping with his actions. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. See, our worship lives and dies on the altar of worthlessness. Instead of deciding to give his heart over to worthless things, David makes the determination to worship God, to give his heart to God through his worship. He commits to thinking about the ways of the Lord, to walking in integrity in his house, to not setting before his eyes anything that is worthless. And David would be someone to listen to in this, uh, in this subject because throughout his entire life, David was a worshiper. No matter what circumstance or what situation he came up against, David worshiped through it. So when David was hiding in a cave for weeks at a time, he didn't run to a Netflix original, right? He ran to the presence of God. When King Saul took attempt after attempt at David's life, he didn't run to his Instagram feed to see if he had lost any followers that day. He ran to the presence of God. When David was caught in his sin and his infant son died as a consequence, he didn't run to the voice of a friend or a family member. He didn't even run to the voice of a politician or a pundit or a talking head. He certainly didn't run to the bottom of a bottle or a cheeseburger or a cigarette, but instead he ran to the presence of God through worship. See, this is more than just avoiding worthless things. That's not enough. This is about living out a life marked by worship. See, all of the guys in the Old Testament would have had a really good understanding of this idea. The Old Testament is like the first three quarters of the Bible, right? Everything pre-Jesus, that's the Old Testament. And all of those guys, all those people that we meet in those stories would have had a really good understanding because they still lived under this thing called the law, right? Everybody say the law. Reminds me of Judge Dredd. Does anybody? I am the law, right? Of course, Pastor Tristan knows that. Um, Y'all go watch, don't watch the movie, but don't watch the movie, but it's good. Um, But they still lived under this thing called the law. Right? And originally, the law wasn't a bad thing. Sometimes we associate it with being bad and religious and all this other stuff. But originally, the law was given to them by God as parameters by which they could freely worship him. Because God understood we're all made with a desire to worship something. So God gave them these instructions for perfect worship. 
right? And so when God gave these, these laws to Moses, right? Remember Moses, Ten Commandments, Burning Bush, all that kind of stuff, Charlton Heston. Um, he gave him those laws not as a, like, do this or else, right? Follow these rules or die. That wasn't the heart. The heart behind it was here. Here's a manual for worship. Here's how you can worship me perfectly every day. And the incredible thing about these laws was that they didn't just pertain to one time slot in the person's life, right? They didn't just speak to Sunday mornings at around 11 o'clock, right? Instead, they spoke to every area of the believer's life. Every part of their life was affected. It affected how they ate. It affected how they dressed. It affected how they interacted with family, with neighbors, with friends. It affected how and when they went to the temple. It affected what they took with them to the temple. It affected how the temple was built, what it was made out of. It affected how they interacted with God on a daily basis. This law permeated every single part of their lives because God knew he created us with the propensity to worship something. And he doesn't want our worship to go anywhere else but to him. Okay, now, fast forward to this side of the cross. Okay, this is where it gets really good. On this side of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for us, we are no longer slaves to the law. Everybody say amen, right? We are no longer slaves to the law. We have been covered by the blood of Christ. We have been given his righteousness, and we are now adopted into the family of God and are walking temples of the Holy Spirit. The holy of holies that now was only accessible by a really brave priest now lives and breathes and dwells in us. The veil was torn and we now have unprecedented access to the Father. The same spirit of power that raised Christ from the dead, if you are in Christ, now lives and works and dwells and abides in you. And like I said, we now have unprecedented access to the Father, way more than the men of the Old Testament would have ever known, right? And those dudes were like talking to burning bushes and like hearing God speak through donkeys, like all kinds of weird stuff. But we have even closer access to the Father than they did. First Peter 1 tells us that the angels, the angels, creatures that were made to be in the presence of God all the time, long to look on our salvation. What an incredible gift we have. So thank God we aren't under the law anymore. But because we now have freedom without the law, it can be all too easy to forget that we were still made with the propensity to worship God daily. See, remember the law before affected every part of every day. But now we don't have to worry about all that stuff anymore. So it can be too easy to fall into the trap of the Pharisees into thinking about worship as a time, a place, a set of rules. And then we just start to try to fill the rest of our lives with worthlessness. See, the burden of the law was lifted, but our hearts to worship are still the same. We no longer live under that complicated set of rules, but we still have the same innate desire to worship God consistently and constantly. And our relationships with God are prone to suffer if we're not doing so. But let me just take a minute and say, I get it, right? I get it. Sometimes life is hard, right? Sometimes, that's the other privilege I have, but sometimes burden I have of seeing people walk in those back doors. And and look, I know sometimes it's all you can do to walk through those back doors. Sometimes it's all you could do to get dressed today and to make it to church, right? I know I've been there. I've been in seasons of my life where it was all I could do to get out of the car, but you're here, right? And God is with you and I get it. I also understand that sometimes our lives can just be so filled with stuff 
It can be so filled with, with things we've got to do and appointments we have to make and, and, and stress and schedules that we're lucky if we get to crack our Bibles open at all, right? But I get that. But I also understand that my worship on a Sunday morning is drastically affected by my worship Monday through Saturday, right? And if I'm not devoting myself to God daily, my ability to sing songs in his presence with his people diminishes. Okay, so how should we approach this, right? Should I be walking around singing all the time? Like, that's going to be weird. Should I call up Matt and Diana and see if they want to be my personal worship band? Like, they probably would. They need money, right? They're college kids, so go ahead and throw them some money. Uh, No, I think Moses in the Old Testament kind of points to this again in Deuteronomy 6. And he says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So see again here, Moses is pointing to the law, but he's encouraging his readers to actively and intentionally participate in their worship. And see, Moses got super practical Because when Moses wrote this, they were wandering through a desert. So Moses understood like, hey, y'all, it's hot. Life's hard, right? Things are bad. I've got sand all up in my shoes, and so things are difficult. So he writes out these really really practical four intentional times that we can worship, right? He highlights them, and he says this, when I'm sitting in my house, when I'm walking by the way, when I'm lying down, and when I'm rising up. See, he points out these four times for us because they're times of relative inactivity. They're times we all have, no matter what kind of life we lead, and they're times of relative inactivity, right? I know when I'm just sitting in my house, I'm in one of two states. I have either just woken up from a nap or I am about to take a nap, right? Those are the, one of the two places that I'm at. But what could I be doing in that time instead to be worshiping God? Maybe I could be reading my Bible or or reading a book that teaches me more about God or I could be spending some time in prayer or even if I am accomplishing household chores and duties and responsibilities that I have, I'm doing them as unto the Lord with a thankful heart, saying, thank you, God, for this house you've given me. Thank you for this yard I've got to mow. Thank you for this carpet I've got to vacuum. Thank you for the things you've given me that I get to take care of. So the next one was walking by the way, right? I don't know where the way is. I don't do a lot of walking by it. Um, But I do, I don't know about you, but I drive a lot. And I'm sure you do too. We all have a commute to work. We have a commute to church. We have a commute here and there doing errands. And so we spend a lot of time in the car. And a lot of that time is spent by ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I love podcasts, right? Like Serial, This American Life, all these like true crime podcasts are amazing. I love to listen to them. But I notice that if I take in too much of that, my attitude and my ability to worship is affected, right? So what could I do to change that? Or some of us, um, our drive home from work, I get it, it's like a decompression time, right? When we've had a hard, frustrating day, we wanna listen to like loud, angry music just to blow off steam for a second, right? Or maybe we just wanna disengage by listening to sports or talk radio or something like that so we just don't have to think for, for 20 minutes or whatever it is. But what would happen if we started taking advantage of that time? What would happen if instead we started listening to music that glorifies God, right? And I'm not saying, like, take all your secular music and go, we're going to burn it out in the parking lot after service. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, what would happen if you instead spent intentional time 
hearing the truth and the voice of God? What if instead, you, instead of a true crime podcast, preaching to myself, you listened to a sermon? You listened to a teaching? Or, shameless plug, you downloaded the LC podcast and you listened to some of our backlogged sermons. What would happen if, if we started devoting that time to God? See, our ability to pour out is affected by what we're taking in throughout the week. Or how about when I'm rising up? Right? I don't know about you, but usually when it's early in the morning, my alarm's going off, my first thought is something like, why God? Like, why is this happening? But what if that changed into, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this day that you're giving me. Thank you for another opportunity to serve and to love you. Or how about when I'm, li- uh, when I'm lying down, right? Instead of just crawling into bed, hoping like the z kicks in in time for me to get enough sleep tonight, or, or already churning over the things that I have to do the next day, what if instead I laid down with the attitude of worship and thankfulness? Thank you, God, for the day that you gave me. God, I'm expectant for the day that you're going to give me tomorrow. What would happen? In order to define our worship as a verb, we have to become worshipers. And becoming a worshiper takes intent. It takes action. It takes setting aside the time intentionally. I'm going to have the band come up this morning. And as they come, um, I would just like to read this passage of Scripture again. I read Romans 12 at the beginning, and I'd like to share it with you one more time. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You see all the action behind that passage? See, we, we are called to present ourselves daily, present ourselves daily to God as our spiritual act of worship. That word spiritual there in the Greek is the word logikos. It's where we get the word logic, right? That's why a lot of translations change that word to the word reasonable. Just like I said before, our only reasonable response to the mercy of God, our only reasonable response to the, to the goodness of Christ is to be moved to active participatory worship. See, the Bible tells us that um, we can move toward God because God first moved toward us. He already took the first step by sending Christ to die on the cross and raising him from the dead. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let that be an encouragement today that no matter where you are, there's grace for you. Whether you're someone who's fallen into the crusty dustiness of religious routine, or you're someone who who lets their worship be swayed here and there by feelings and circumstance, or you're someone like me when I was 16 that has no framework for worship at all, there's grace for you today. There's grace for me today. As we all are sanctified and made more conformed to the image of the Son, there is grace for us as we struggle and figure this thing out. There's grace for us today as we turn our worship from a noun into a verb. So if you would all this morning stand with me, we're going to spend the next few minutes just doing that, just putting our worship into action, making it a verb instead of a noun. And I encourage you today, search your heart, ask God to show you how has your worship been? What has your worship been? Has it been a noun? Has it been something that you only leave here on Sundays or when you're at the church? Or is it something that affects your day to day life? Has it become a verb for you? Because remember, there is grace for you today. We always say it, but but God abides in the praises of his people. 
His presence is here with us today where two or more are gathered. His, there he is in the midst of them. He's here with us today and he's drawing us unto himself and he's calling us to a life of passionate, vibrant worship. And so I urge you today, just like Paul did, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice because this is your true, spiritual, reasonable act of worship. Let's sing today.